0: The uh, Lord Jesus had been speaking about uh, some of the things that were going to come upon Jerusalem, and upon the uh, people of Israel because of their rejection of the Messiah. And then in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For a rather similar passage, would you please turn to Romans chapter 9. have two uh, shorter New Testament readings to go with our series in Micah um, because both passages I'll be referring to in the Sermon and they're both relevant to what we'll be looking at with the uh, Sermon this morning. Romans 9, I'll read verses 1 to 5. I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ Christ, According to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Would you then turn please to Micah chapter 1, as we continue with our series on that book. I'll read the whole chapter, but the text for the sermon this morning is verses 8 to 16. looked at the first seven verses previously, now from verses 8 to 16, but I'll start at verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth and all it contains, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire. Like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? For I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the open country, planting places for a vineyard. I will pour her stones down into the valley and will lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be smashed. All of her, all of her earnings will be burned with fire. And all of her images I will make desolate. For she collected them from a harlot's earnings. And to the earnings of a harlot they will return. Now a text. Because of this I must lament and wail. I must go barefoot and naked. I must make a lament like the jackals. And a mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people even to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, At bethleh roll yourself in the dust. Go on your way, inhabitant of Shafir, in shameful nakedness. The inhabitant of Za'anan does not escape the lamentation of beth azel He will take from you its support. For the inhabitant of Maroth becomes weak, waiting for good because a calamity has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the chariot to the team of horses, O inhabitant of Lachish. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, because in you were found the rebellious acts of Israel. Therefore you will give parting gifts on behalf of Morasheth Gath. The houses of Aqzeb will become a deception to the kings of Israel. Moreover, I will bring on you the one who takes possession, O inhabitant of Marashah. The glory of Israel will enter Adullam. Make yourself bold and cut off your hair, because the children of your delight because of the children of your delight. Extend your boldness like the eagle, for they will go from you into exile. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, would you enable us to learn the basic principles behind your laws and to apply them with the aid of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us all to understand the pattern of promise and fulfilment that Uh, runs right through your word along with the riches of the the doctrines that we find in your word and help us, Father, to lay hold of those deep things as well to the extent that we may. And also this morning as we see these things reflected in this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, it's uh, not unusual for the prophets, to move in their writings from warnings of destruction against uh, other nations around Israel, and then to, having done that, to hone in with a warning to God's own people. Uh, You find that, for example, in the book of Amos. You find it in the book of Isaiah, and we find it here, in a way, also in Micah, And this must have been quite a difficult thing for the prophets because it's one thing to pronounce doom and gloom upon your enemies, it's quite another to have to do it on your own people. Indeed, Micah in chapter 1 verses 10 to 15 has to include this warning of doom uh, for that area which was really his own stomping ground and even upon his own hometown find that in verse 14 with the mention of his own hometown there telling of a terrible destruction that was to come on that area in particular as I said before the book of Micah is a book that is to a large extent about judgment and woe though we will get to the the rays of sunshine that pierce through the, the clouds a little bit later in the book before too much longer But for now, we consider three points in this somewhat darker chapter. Uh, First of all, the grief over the north. Secondly, grief over Judah. And thirdly, grief over the children. Grief over the north, over the south, Judah, and then over the children. In the first place, I'd like to draw to your attention that Micah says he must lament, it's not an option. He must lament over Samaria, verse 8. Because of this, he must lament because of this. In other words, of what he had been saying in verses 1 to 7, which ended with a description of Samaria's destruction. And because of that, and initially in this section in our text, initially he must lament because of what was happening to Samaria. He has to lament and wail like the jackals and the ostriches. And uh, we may not be so familiar with the sounds those animals make uh, here in New Zealand, but uh, you can easily easily uh, Google such things. If you've never heard a jackal or an ostrich make their noises. Uh, jackals make a kind of creepy howling noise, and ostriches, a combination of uh, screeches and a thrumming, sort of thumping noise. Uh, so these are not pleasant noises, and they're quite loud noises. And the act of mourning is compared to these screeches and wails. In addition to which, the prophet has to go barefoot and naked, uh, tearing his clothes until he's torn his clothes right down, presumably to a loincloth. Uh, Very audible things, the screeches and the wails, very visible things, the tearing of the clothes, which was the style of the ancient mourning rituals. But as I say, the reason for this grief is, in the first instance, Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel. Because Samaria's wound has become incurable, verse 9, the first half of that verse. In other words, the northern kingdom has reached a point of no return, with her wickedness and her idolatry, her corruption and her immorality. And even though they were God's people, it would no longer be given to them, to repent of their sins and to come back to the Lord again. They were, in other words, being given over to their own hardness of heart. And as a result of that, their destruction was now seen and declared to be inevitable. Now, it may seem strange that a loyal citizen of Judah would grieve so much over the northern kingdom, Israel. As a prophet, Micah must have been uh, horrified and disgusted by the level of wickedness found in Samaria. One reason to not grieve so much over the Northern Kingdom. Not only that, but the Northern Kingdom was frequently hostile to the Southern Kingdom. In many ways, this was the enemy. Can you imagine at the end of World War II, the citizens of the UK or the citizens of the USA or of Australia or New Zealand uh, running out into the streets to grieve publicly over the defeat of Germany or, or, or of Japan? Wasn't that a cause for rejoicing in the streets and for ticker tape parades? Perhaps also, in a similar vein, we should ask what our own reactions would be when we, and what are our own reactions when we consider, for example, The demise of liberal churches. If you hear of such a denomination, for example, in the Netherlands or elsewhere, uh, declining due to the lack of interest of their people in the things of the Lord or uh, that denomination collapsing or being dissolved or being absorbed into some other body, do you grieve or do you find yourself thinking, good, that's exactly what they deserve? The world would be a better off, is a better off place without them. Or what about if you think of those uh, individual congregations or of individuals such as TV evangelists who in some way uh, fall for grace, fall from grace. Or even people in our own churches whom we perceive as bad influence. Uh, when there are problems... Or when they leave, do we think to ourselves, good, that's actually better, or do we grieve? I'd like to suggest to you two reasons that motivated Micah in his grief and why he said, I'm, I have to do this, I have to grieve, despite the fact that in some ways these were wicked enemies. One of those concerns, it's not stated, but I believe this is in the background here, And this is that the northern kingdom were still, for all of their problems, the people of the northern kingdom were still God's people. Historically, they were brothers. And you see the way the Apostle Paul argues that way for his fellow Jews. He says they're brothers according to the flesh. Okay, spiritually they may have departed from that. Spiritually they may not be acting like brothers anymore at all. But historically they are. That's one reason. The other reason, and this is one that is definitely stated here, is the witness, the issue of the witness to the world. Verse 10. Micah alludes here to 2 Samuel 1 verse 20. Tell it not in Gath. He's alluding to what happened when David was grieving over the death of Saul, a man who had made himself David's enemy. But when he was killed, David grieved over him, as well as over Jonathan, as well over the large number of Israelites who had been killed by the Philistines at that time. And David, when he says, Tell it not in Gath or in Ashkelon, David is saying that he is offended by the fact that the Philistines, when they learn of what has happened to, to Israel... And to Israel's leaders, when they learn of that, they're going to be rejoicing in the streets. And they're going to use that as an excuse to say, the God of Israel is a nobody, is a nothing. And David, with his concern for God's glory, and his love for the people of God, for all their faults, does not want that to happen. And the same is true much today. Uh, When we find today people in the world, uh, they're so quick to rejoice over seeing a, a church leader fall from grace or a church diminish and decline, a church being damaged in some way. They're so quick to rejoice over that and to use that as an excuse to reject, to harden themselves in their rejection against the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of that church, even though it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ He is the one who is actually chastising his church in those things. But they don't see that. They just use it as an excuse to reject him. And therefore Micah is reminding us that we ought to be weeping over these things and not rejoicing secretly in our own hearts. We ought to be weeping over these things and grieved by them. And yet at the same time not weeping in such a way that we give the world any excuse to harden their hearts further against God. Well, there is yet another reason for Micah's grief over Samaria. And that lies in the fact that her wound has also come to Judah and reached even the gates and come within the gates of Jerusalem. The second half of verse 9. In other words, the evil of Samaria had also infected Judah and Jerusalem and because of that, the judgment that was coming down on the northern kingdom was going to touch the southern kingdom. It was going to reach to the gates of Jerusalem as well. Our second point, grief over Judah. This is why in verses 9 to 15 we find this repetition of both terms Judah and Israel, to show that this affects the whole of God's people, both the the north and the south. And it's also why, in verses 10 to 15, we have the mention here of ten place names that lie in an area in Judah between Jerusalem and the coast, between Jerusalem and the plains of Philistia, where the Philistines had lived, a region known as the Shephelah, and that includes also Micah's hometown, the town of Moresheth. And as the prophet mentions those ten names, and as we read through them, you might have heard that and thought, well, I don't quite get why those ones are given so much attention and singled out. But in the original language, there's actually a kind of play on words within, with each one of these towns, or with most of them, Either a play on their history or a play on the sound of the word or a plain play on the meaning of the town name uh, in order to make it clear, not, not uh, playing on words or punning in any kind of amusing way, but a play on words and history and the sound of these things that is meant to drive home how completely devastating this destruction is that's going to approach the gates of Jerusalem when the Assyrians come, especially in the time of Sennachery, and uh, when they besieged Jerusalem, which they did around 701 BC, having already destroyed the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And though I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, I will, just to give you a bit of a feel for this, run through those place names, and as I do so, I'll take, a, admittedly, a few translational liberties just in order to try and capture the the play on words and history that is coming here. So we've already heard about Gath, a little bit about Gath, and the connection to David historically from 2 Samuel. Uh, That's one of those historical, a play on history. But then we have uh, Beth La'Aphrah, which uh, again, call it a slight liberty, but let's call it Dust Town. And the play on words here is that the people of Dust Town are going to end up rolling in the dust, which in those times was a way of expressing grief like tearing your clothes. So grief was going to come to Dust Town. Shafir, let's call it Beauty Town. Beautiful people wearing beautiful clothes, but now what's going to happen to them Beauty town is going to become a place of nakedness and of ugly shame. No more beautiful clothes for them. Za'anan, going out town. Well, they're not going to go out when they're surrounded by the Assyrians. They're going to be trapped. Beth Ezel, standing town. But they're going to fall. They're going to fall when they lose their support. Mudoth, bitter town. Yes, that's what they're going to experience. Bitterness and calamity rather than good. And Lachish, a historical reference. The place where Solomon established one of his chariot towns, where he stationed the chariots and the charioteers. But now their horses are going to be used more like racehorses than warhorses because they're going to hitch up their horses to those chariots in order to try and escape as soon as they can from the Assyrians Moresheth uh, the name Moresheth sounds a little bit like the Hebrew word for bride so let's call this bride town but they're going to give their bridal gift to the Assyrians Akzeb, deceit town because anybody who trusts in the defences of uh, Akzib against the Assyrians is uh, going to be trusting a lie sounds like possession town but they're going to be invaded by one who takes all their possessions and then finally the glory of Israel her leaders and her aristocrats are going to end up hiding in Adullam the cave of Adullam where David also had fled where he fled from Saul another historical play on the town name And also driving home this point, uh, perhaps that this section of town name starts with Gath, very significant in David's history of fleeing from his enemy, and ends with Adullam, another place very much associated with David fleeing from his enemy, Saul. The point being that the Assyrians were going to bring about the unravelling of David's kingdom, and especially the southern kingdom of Judah. Now all of this was due, as I've noted, to the sin of Judah copying the sin of the northern kingdom. And we could list, and the prophets do list, many such sins both in the north and the south. But verse 13 draws attention to one sin in particular, and that sin is trusting in yourself rather than trusting in the Lord. And Lachish, we are told, was the beginning of that sin, the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, because it was there under Solomon that the people began to learn to trust in chariots rather than to trust in themselves, to trust in chariots and horses. And we find that warning throughout the scriptures against that kind of thing. Think of Psalm 30 verse 1. Think of Psalm 89 verses 49 to 51. This is something that Solomon started. But it was something that the, the various kings of Judah had continued, some more than others, as they really sought to fortify some of those towns in that area being described here. To build up their defences and to begin to trust in that. The northern kingdom was famous for that. Uh, Trusting in the power of man and his armies and his chariots and his fortifications rather than trusting in their God, the living God. And Judah was copying that and from that a whole raft of sins come. From self-trust come a lot of other problems. And so, in a way, this is the beginning of the end for God's people when they start to go down that track, if they do not turn aside. And really, when we think about it, it wasn't that different in Jerusalem in New Testament times. Not that they trusted in chariots so much or in fortifications so much, but they reserved the same kind of trust for the existence of their beautiful temple in Jerusalem and in their rituals, many of them man-made, rather than giving their trust to the living God. And uh, those that comes out in those passages I read. Uh, these are things that caused the, caused the Lord Jesus to weep when he saw the people of God turning to self-trust and trust in man-made things rather than in God. And these are things that caused, caused the Apostle Paul to weep, as we read. Even though many of those over whom they were weeping had made themselves their enemies, enemies of the gospel, enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, enemies, enemies of the apostles. And I would suggest to you that it is not that different today. When we look at within the wider uh, Christian church, we find churches, how we want to regard them, that have ceased to love the Lord. They've ceased to trust in him. And they turn more and more to trusting in human reason, in uh, human science, evolution teaching over against what the scripture teaches about uh, origins, for instance. They begin to trust in that. They begin to trust in humanistic political correctness. And all the same-sex marriage stuff and the gender stuff that we see around us. They trust in those things rather than in what the scripture says. They trust more in the the norms of their culture, an unbelieving culture largely, than they do in God and his word. And that ought to be a matter of grief to us. A matter of grief when we see the Lord's name profaned, his word rejected, but also a matter of grief to us when we see the church damaged by these things. Damaged, but not destroyed ultimately. And a matter of grief when we see the world exalting over these things. Giving them an excuse to exult over it. Uh, we ought to grieve even when it results some of this in opposition that comes against us when we try to be faithful. All of that is true but let us also remember and that is what comes out in this point about Judah that we also look closer to home and that we look at ourselves and examine ourselves constantly to see uh, what, if anything, we are letting through our own gates not just pointing fingers at others but looking at how the world is influencing us as well. Well in the third and the final place, I want to suggest yet another reason for the prophet's grief, and that is uh, the children over the children. The children of your delight, verse 16. Many of the children in this region into which the Assyrians moved when they attacked Jerusalem, many of those children were captured, and they were deported and enslaved. The Assyrians boasted at the time, uh, in their own writings, that they captured over 200,000 of God's people, old and young, uh, at that time in that area. And what a grievous thing that must have been to the survivors of Jerusalem. To know that the, the next generation had been decimated in that way. And therefore, Micah ends the chapter with more terms taken from ancient rituals of mourning. Cut off your hair and make yourself look like a bald eagle, he says. Cut off your hair and make yourself look like one of the local vultures, because that's how people showed their mourning at that time, because of the children in this case. Think again about the many churches that have departed from the truth. And where in those churches, or so-called churches, their children, their sons and their daughters, are being raised in lies and confirmed in unbelief. And what a tragedy that is. Another thing to grieve over for us too. And it is a tragedy that can also happen in the families of our churches. Because if you go as parents, if you go, those of you who are parents, if you go regularly to church and you read your Bible at the dinner table and you call yourself a Christian and yet you continually give a practical demonstration to your children that looks a lot more like self-trust and looks a lot more like self-centeredness and self-gratification than it does love of the Lord. Then the question is, are your children going to listen to what you're saying when you read the Bible, or are they going to listen to what you're doing? And if they take the, uh, the easier course, which is downhill, then that would be a cause for great grief. Thankfully, the Lord can overcome the weakness of parents. And the Lord can overcome the weakness of congregations and of federations and of entire populations. Jerusalem was brought at that time and Micah's around about that time to the very brink. But not totally destroyed. And even in AD 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed, when the Romans made Jerusalem desolate, the Lord still preserved a remnant. And then he grafted in millions upon millions of Gentiles into that same root. And likewise, he will preserve his church and he will preserve his elect until the end. But until the end, the warning still stands. As one writer has put it, no privilege will be kept if we turn from the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in your word there are so many accounts, so many warnings of what happens when your covenant people turn from you. Father, we recognise our privileged position as your covenant people. Help us to value it to, to evaluate above all other things that the world offers. Father, we thank you too for the preservation of your church and that that preservation is assured. But Lord, do not let us take your mercy and your kindness for granted. For we do not want to be removed, to remove ourselves from that close relationship that we have with you through your Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. We've seen this uh, example here of the misery that sin brings. Uh, we see our need of redemption. We see our need of forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he taught us to pray for that. And we sing, of that, sing that same prayer or part of it from hymn number 431. We'll stand to sing. Number 431 stands as one, three, and then six through to eight. Afterwards, would you please remain standing for the blessing in doxology. as our doxology, we sing from the Psalter Hymnal number 310. The Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Amen.